So on this podcast, I'm joined today by the voice of Scottish football, Ian Crocker. Hi, Ian. How are you doing? Regan, really I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. Um, did you get first involved with, with the media? Well, I uh, quite fancied becoming a commentator when I heard some of the voices on the radio commentating on football as a child when I used to go and watch my local team in Dorset where I lived, a little sleepy seaside resort called Weymouth. They were non-league, so I watched them and um, then decided I should follow a professional team and West Ham had the same colours. So when I was nine years old, it seemed like a good idea at the time and they won the FA Cup the first year I supported them. Um, and later on, when I moved to London and was working here, there and everywhere in office jobs, I managed to get a job at West Ham doing the uh, tunnel announcing on match days. And uh, that was obviously a dream job for me. But through that, I met the guys from Capital Radio in London. Jonathan Pierce, who's now on Match of the Day, was uh, the main man. Steve Wilson was there. Dave Clark, Julian Waters, who've all gone on to great things. Um, we had a really good team. And uh, that kind of got me into radio. And from there eventually a step into the TV side of things. So what are your favourite moments of being a commentator? Well, obviously I've been lucky enough to do, and I tried counting them up because I've forgotten how many, 61 old firm games I think it is now, and there's nothing quite like that. But I've also had the chance to cover many in international, to cover Scotland, finally get into a major tournament. Yeah, playoff finals in England to get to the Premier League, huge occasions. So I've been really, really lucky over the years, um, and it's been fantastic. People say you, you don't realise how lucky you are to be a football commentator, but I can assure you, we all do. So you have been the Scotland commentator from 1998. Would you say you're more patriotic towards Scotland than you are England then? Yeah, I, I seriously am now. I mean, I love Scotland as a country. I love the people. What you see is what you get, that's for sure. Um, uh, yeah, uh, 22 years covering the national team now. Obviously, I started in 1998 when they were last at a major tournament. Not my fault that they've only just got back to one. Um, but really pleased that they have. And yeah, I mean, I would watch Scotland ahead of England now because, well, I often do anyway because it's my job. But ironically, uh, next summer, obviously, the uh, major tournaments are on BBC and ITV. So I might be uh, sitting on my sofa watching it, but I'll definitely be cheering on Scotland, if so, even against England. Um, so what would be your favourite Scotland games that you've commented on? The internationals? Yeah. Uh, there's been quite a few over the years. I mean, Scotland used to give the likes of Germany and, and Holland and Belgium a, a game and, and uh, Italy and so on. I know it was a nearly but not quite story on many occasions, but uh, when Hamden was full and Scotland were taking on the big boys, you know, they were really special games. It's been a bit harder against the, the likes of Belgium, as we saw recently when Scotland played them. I mean, it's, it's hard for anyone to live in that sort of company these days. But I was just so pleased that uh, they finally did it in Serbia, uh, albeit they put us through it yet again, every single possible emotion when Serbia equalised late on. Uh, but for once, there was a happy ending, and I was just so pleased. It happened that way because let's be honest when Serbia equalised I'm sure we were all thinking the same and fearing the worst but thankfully the boys were brilliant on penalties 100% record in penalty shootouts now for Scotland and uh, bring on the Euros So were you managed to be in Belgrade or were you in the studio? Sadly we weren't we were going to go but we weren't allowed because it was on the list of countries where um, you know you would have had to quarantine if if you went back and, that, and also actually getting there was was 
quite difficult travel-wise. So Luke Shanley, our reporter, was there. You probably saw him dancing and singing with the players out there. But uh, we had to do it from, from Sky Studios in London, which is really weird and, and not great. But when you think about possibly 10, 12, 15,000 members of the Tartan Army, you'd rather have been there as well. You know, we, we got by. Obviously, it wasn't the same. Uh, I know uh, Rory Hamilton, who you'll know as a commentator with BT, um, he texted me, he's a big Scotland fan and he's been all over Europe with them. And he said, how typical that, you know, the one time Scotland finally qualified for a tournament, he sat on the sofa with his dog rather than be there on the night. So that to me kind of summed it up how it was for everyone involved in, in watching Scotland over the years. So from uh, the Scottish Premiership, what would be your favourite moments there? I'm thinking of a time where you were at Fur Park and it was Motherwell 6, Hibernian 6. Well, Regan, I don't think we'll ever see the like again, will we? I mean, that was an extraordinary game. I remember arriving at the game and it was an end of season. I think they could both get into Europe possibly, but it had that end of season feel to it. And we were all thinking, oh, you know, oh, it's, it's all right, but it might not be great. And obviously it turned into an extraordinary night. Hibs 6-2 up with about 22, 23 minutes to go. Motherwell got back to 5-6, then Mr. Penalty, Ross Forbes, and then uh, Jukovic with his Van Basten-style screamer in stoppage time. You just couldn't make it up. And, and that taught me a lesson, actually, 10 years ago now, 11 years ago nearly. Um, never uh, go to a game th- fearing the worst because you never know what, what might happen. Sadly, I don't think we'll see the like again, a 6-6 draw, but we can live in hope. But that was just an ex- extraordinary evening, extraordinary occasion. Yeah. So how much pre- pre- preparation would you put in? to our Scottish Premiership game? Quite a bit. I mean, um, normally uh, I spend a whole day doing stats and prep on games, although if the games are good, I generally don't use many. Um, But if they're not, you might have to throw one or two in. So I've got two sheets of paper with information on every player, another sheet with general information about the match. It takes about a day to put it all together. Um, And a lot of the time um, I'm watching games or catching up on highlights or... You know, for example, uh, before the Old Firm game we that's just gone, we hadn't actually done Celtic for a couple of months, bizarrely, the way the fixtures had fallen. So I went to watch them against Dundee United just to give me a refresher and see what they were doing and how they were playing. Um, and, yeah, there's people think you just turn up at the game on a match day, but there's actually quite a lot that goes into it. I keep detailed records of all appearances, goal scorers, anything to do with every game as well. Um not just in the Scottish Premiership, but in the Premier League as well, because we do a few games there. So, yeah, there's quite a, a lot more involved than people think. So how long in advance do you know what fixtures you will do? Well, obviously, with the Scottish, uh, it's usually, unless we have a double header, which we did over Christmas, it's usually me doing them, so I know on that. Other games, generally, you probably get about a month's notice. Um uh, so I was supposed to be doing Burnley-Fulham on Sunday after the Old Firm game, actually, but it got called off because of COVID in the uh, Fulham camp. And funnily enough, that happened to me with the Aston Villa-Newcastle game recently as well. Um, so I've been a bit unlucky there, but obviously the welfare of everyone is a tad more important than me getting to do the games by some distance. So um, you've been involved in so many Old Firm games. What would be your favourite moments? Well, I think I've done 61 of them now, which is a huge privilege. My first one in 98 was a goalless draw, which I remember for 
Lionel Charbonnier making a decent save from Henry Larson. You were busy being born in that year, I know, Regan, so I won't dwell too much on that one. But a couple of years after that, obviously, the 6-2 game when Celtic were 3-0 up in 11 and a half minutes. Rangers got back to 3-1, had a goal wrongly disallowed, if I remember, which would have made it 3-2 by half-time. Could have been interesting, but I still think Henrik would have run the show that day. And uh, I, I do try and sit on the fence, of course. Uh, so I better pick one game each that, that stood out. Um, the cup final between the two in 2002 when Peter Lovenkrantz scored in injury time. That was a great occasion as well. I love the one-off finals. There's been so many meetings between Rangers and Celtic over the years that have just been breathtaking. Um, and uh, I can't honestly remember a dull one. I'm sure there's been a few where it probably has felt that way, but it never does to me. And I know sometimes it, it's such 100 miles per hour that the football gets a little bit left behind but it's still that, that sort of unique sporting occasion where you know you, you you are utterly engrossed in it from the first minute to the last so were you involved in the in the helicopter Sunday day no, no I think we, at that point we didn't have the rights I think the BBC might have had them if I remember correctly so I missed out on that big day but uh, yeah there's still been many others um, I, I do like uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure we're going to get it this season but I do like a bit of final day drama when both teams are going for the title and I have been involved in a couple of those. It's been brilliant um, to cover. Although I remember, I think one of them was Rangers went about 3-0 up in about half a second at Kilmarnock once, one year. Yeah, that was the one Kilmarnock yeah. 6-1 or something. Yeah. Like I think they, they certainly got the job done early there. So it didn't. Uh, there wasn't much tension on the actual day, but it's still going into the day. It's always good when you get a, a final day showdown. So in 2008, you, you went to St. Anta and there was a last day of the season, one where Celtic clawed it back from being so many points behind and they beat Dundee United to win the title and Rangers played at Aberdeen the same night. Yes. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, extraordinary again. I mean, I was think we were thinking that the other day, the number of times that a team has been streets ahead at the top and the other team has come back. Uh, my memory's not as good as it was, sadly, uh, now, but yeah, there's certainly been a couple of occasions where big leads have been squandered. And you look at Rangers' lead now, 19 points, Celtic three games in hand. You know, they're going to have to win both Old Firm games that remain. But, you know, they proved at least on Sunday that they are back competing because Rangers have dominated the previous three Old Firm games. Um, well, you never know, but I, I, I just think it's a, it's a huge lead that. And I know Celtic can make up points in other ways, but. I think Rangers will be quite happy having the points on the board. So the Scottish football this season, because obviously in the last few years, Celtic have been invincible. They had Brendan and Rodgers. It was like, and now Rangers with Steven Gerrard. So how do you see it shaping up? Well, I mean, the last couple of seasons, in the second half of both seasons, Rangers had a chance, especially last season, you know, when they beat Celtic in the New Year one, New Year derby. And uh, obviously they, not only did they well, fall apart, really, uh, once they came back from the winter break. But uh, Celtic were utterly ruthless and relentless and showed what they're about in uh, in winning that title. But I think the balance of power is definitely shifting. Um, Rangers have been terrific this season. And I think they've proved over the past few weeks, I mean, they've been great to watch at times, but in the past few games, maybe because of the volume of games and how quickly they've come, they've not been at their best, at the most fluent, but they still keep winning. I mean, that's 14 wins in a row now in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, and Stephen Gerrard, it, it's been a work in progress for him, you know, but he knows he needs to win a trophy. Whoever you are in Glasgow, you can't really go three seasons without one. 
Um, that's why the League Cup will be a big blow to them. But, you know, I, there's a different feel to them and a different look to them this season compared to the last two seasons. And that's why I can't see them letting that big lead slip. Sure, Celtic will probably win their games in hand and eat into it. And maybe Rangers will have a wobble. And, you know, they haven't had one yet. And they, they might be due yeah. one. It'll be interesting to see how they react to that. But the whole mentality of Rangers at the moment seems to be rather different to what it was in the last two seasons. So you you were involved with Celtic when they beat Barcelona two one when Tony Watt scored. What was that? What was that like? Extraordinary night, Regan. I remember turning up there on that night. Well, we we get to the games about three hours before. Uh, to make sure, you know, we are, uh, were there and, and just to get ready for the game. And I remember about, unusually at Scottish grounds, it's about seven o'clock. The, the ground was nearly full up, as in everyone was almost seated. It was like 45 minutes to go. And uh, there, there was a special feeling about Celtic Park. Well, there always is on European nights. But that night in particular, I, I just started thinking, you know what, this could be... I don't know, there was just something before the game that made me think this could be interesting because obviously not many gave Celtic a chance and it was a phenomenal performance and result and Tony obviously took his place in history, you know, scoring the winner as he did and uh, still mentioned it to him every day that we see him now. But um, yeah, it was a phenomenal night and Celtic gave Barcelona a game a few times back then, though not just at home, but but in the new Camp, I remember one as well. So um yeah, it was an extraordinary night, and uh, obviously it'll go down in history. It's, well, they've had a few good European nights to be fair, but that was certainly one of them. Yeah, I mean, because I'm not one where Celtic went one nil up within what, a couple, a couple of minutes, and then the whole hold on to like three minutes to go, and then there was two one. Yeah, like I remember that game. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I think I seem to recall the equaliser possibly was something pretty special from Barcelona. Typical Barca. Football, or maybe it was a winner. Uh, like I say, the memory is not as good, but yeah, no, Celtic could uh, could compete back then, and for sure. And um, you know, uh, obviously, it was a disappointing European uh, campaign for them this time around. And thankfully, we'll be in a position where the top two get a crack at the the Champions League uh, soon. And uh, just got to hope that they make the most of it. So obviously, Sky Sports. I've got the new five-year contract for Scottish football. Yeah, pretty pleased. Um, I think Sky's uh, commitment to Scottish football has been there for all to see over the best part of uh, the last 22, 25 years, even before they started covering the SPO in 98 um, with the national team uh, and so on. So, yeah, really delighted that we can uh, we can carry that on. And obviously, uh, great for those of us that work on it. We've got a really passionate team uh, full of football fans, Rangers fans, Celtic fans, Hibs fans, more teams as well. Uh, quite a wide spectrum is covered amongst uh, the Sky uh, guys and girls. So, um, yeah, uh, really, really pleased that um, we can do that. I mean, um, and hopefully, you know, well, we, we know what we've got in Scotland. We like what we see and we all enjoy it. We don't really worry about what other people think of it. But I think generally in, in England and elsewhere, there is, there is a, obviously a bit of interest, mainly in the old firm, but that's the way it's going to be. But nah, brilliant. Love, love commentating on the Scottish. Love the passion, not just of the fans, but also the players. You know, you see players playing from the heart every single week, game in, game out. And, uh, you know, that's always great to see. What would be the favourite stadiums that you have commentated on? In Scotland, uh, obviously, you know, doing games at Celtic Park and Ibrox is, uh, 
is pretty special. When you, you know, obviously we've sorely missed the fans. Um, and at the moment, it's just a totally surreal, bizarre, weird experience that I hope we don't have to suffer for too much longer. But it looks like we will for a few months, sadly. But just longing for the day we can get back to full stadiums. Uh, I really like Tannadice. The gantry is superb, gives you a great view. So good to have Dundee United back in the um, in the top flight. Um, in England, I would say Old Trafford was always a special place for me to be able to commentate there. Love some of the old grounds. Upton Park, being biased as a West Ham fan, was was special for me. And Highbury was quite good because the gantry was quite low, overlooking Arsenal's old pitch. Um, so many stadiums. I mean, talk about Barcelona. Obviously, I've been privileged to commentate there a few times. And the television gantry is actually so high up in the gods. Like the players actually look like little dots on the pitch. I mean, <laughs> some guys use binoculars to see them. Uh, but I never mentioned that because you think, well, I'm lucky enough to be commentating in the new camp on Barcelona. So I'll, if they want to stick me even higher up on the top of the stand, that'll be fine by me. Who would be the uh, managers that you're close with? Yeah, Derek's been uh, great for me because commentators love getting a, getting a shout on teams early. Um and uh, I don't want to sound like an old thud here, but back in the day, it was a little bit easier because you were able to build up a bit more trust with managers. Um, and uh, Nowadays, I think um, everyone's a bit cautious. Um, you know, they're worried about their teams getting out via social media, as we saw a while back with Celtic, where their team seemed to be leaked. But I remember dealing with Walter Smith and Martin O'Neill, and they were particularly brilliant at giving me an early shout on the team. Walter especially used to ring him on the morning of the game have a good chat for half an hour chewing the fat. Martin was great to deal with and, and a utterly fascinating character, but I don't think he really decided on his team before about five minutes it was due to go in, but he would hand over a scrunched up piece of paper with a formation on at the game when he arrived. Uh, Derek uh, McInnes, yeah, is very similar. He'll, uh, he'll give you a decent early shout on the, uh, on the team. Just a few others that I need to work on now but even if we get the teams through an hour and 15 minutes before kickoff it's no great disaster it's just a commentator thing that you like to be a bit more prepared so have you ever done any interviews for Sky and had any angry managers well uh, I was lucky enough in the year when Manchester United won the treble just after you were born Regan um, uh, that uh, I did a lot, quite a lot of their three o'clock Saturday games um, so I had to interview Fergie afterwards and he was just top draw because you knew that you had to be on your toes and if you weren't he'd certainly uh, make it known uh, and I found him really challenging but really fair and gigs in broadcasting because the managers are all still fired up by events that happened a mere 15 minutes ago and you know um, haven't really had a chance to, to collect their thoughts so it, it can be tricky but there's been a few good ones over the years a few bad ones but I remember doing Bobby Robson at Newcastle once and asking him what, what he thought. I would always start an interview uh, with what did you make of the game, which is fairly uh, fairly boring. But I don't think managers, if you start giving an opinion, would take to it too well. So I just give it a standard. Give us your thoughts. And Bobby Robson ended up speaking for four minutes nonstop, covered every single talking point in the game. As I was getting ready for my next question to go, oh, uh, and then he'd just carry on and talk really. That was typical of a man, uh, an absolute gentleman as well. So, uh, yeah, uh, there were many over the years that were good, but if I had to pick one that I really enjoyed doing, it, w- it would be Fergie because he just kept you on your toes. Yeah. So, I just want to talk about Celtic when they went the, the, the whole season unbeaten. What was that like for you as a commentator? 
Yeah, it was an extraordinary uh, season that, and uh, you know, the longer it went on, obviously you're thinking. I mean, they were they were so good that season, and such a long domestic run, of course, under Brendan Rodgers. 69 games and finally ended bizarrely in that 4-0 at uh, Hearts. But no, a phenomenal run and uh, something that you won't see very often. I mean, surprised nobody's mentioning it with uh, with Rangers at the moment. Um, but, uh, you know, maybe they need to get a bit further down the line. But yeah, an extraordinary uh, achievement that. And um, yeah, uh, w- will we see the, the like again quite soon? You never know, I suppose. But um, it was it certainly took some doing. But that Celtic team we're fantastic in Scotland. What do you look for in a co- in a in a good co commentator? Well, I've been very lucky over the years to uh, work with so many. Uh, worked with Chris Kamara on the Football League for Sky in England, and Cammy was was like he like you see him on the telly. So enthusiastic, used to bounce and jump around the gantry when goals were scored. Um, obviously, I've worked for, uh, <coughs> I've worked with uh, Davey Proven and Andy Walker for a long time as well, and they've been brilliant. Uh, we're so on the same wavelength now. We very rarely crash each other. Uh, we've had Ali McCoyst on board lately as well, doing a bit of Rangers and a bit of the old firm. And, uh, yeah, just so many uh, co-coms over the years who've, uh, who've been excellent and always say they've got the harder job. They have to immediately analyse something Whereas I just shout a load of players' names out. So, uh, yeah, they've got the hard bit. So, obviously, you've been involved this season with the Scottish Football Podcast. How has that been for you? Yeah, it's been a good crack. Uh, teaming up with Andy Walker and Chris Boyd most weeks to uh, chew the fat. Two good guys um, with strong opinions. And um, it's been really good. We've got another one coming out this week. And, uh, yeah, that's been uh, been good fun. And we've got a predictions league going between the three of us. Um, for all the Scottish Premiership games and Scottish Cup and whatever. And I think I'm about 10 points clear of Andy at the moment and Boydie's lagging way behind in third place, so it's even more satisfying on that. So what advice would you have for someone that wants to get involved in the media? I would say um, try and get as much experience as you can anywhere. Uh, When I started out, I was... I worked in sort of uh, radio and... People used to joke about, oh, if you can get a job making the teas in a local radio station, you know, you might be able to get on. And back in the day, that did actually happen. Whether it does now or not, I'm not so sure. Um, But there's a whole stack of things available. I did hospital radio in London, um, which gave me a great grounding in the basics of broadcasting and radio. Loved it. Moorfields Eye Hospital, Radio Moorfields, with a guy called Ida Gilbert, who just played a big part in allowing me to learn broadcasting and and the skills and make mistakes in the first place. And um, so hospital radio, if you, I don't, again, I don't think there are so many stations around now doing that, but there are still a few. And any experience you can get, uh, obviously it's in the wider scope now with social media and stuff available. Um, uh, try and get along to games, uh, any which way you can, when you can, obviously. Um, and any experience you can pick up because it's such a rewarding job. So what do you make of the Premier League season? I think it's uh, going to be interesting. Liverpool have stumbled lately. Manchester City were brilliant at Chelsea, but they've stumbled as well. I mean, I personally, I like seeing the likes of Leicester and Southampton, Everton, Aston Villa, who I think have been possibly the team of the season so far, bearing in mind they nearly went down last season. Um, I like watching these teams getting up and about the top four, top six. I think it would be terrific if we saw another, uh, something along the lines of Leicester when they won it. 
and uh, they're looking really good under Brendan Rodgers now. Um, and but and Southampton, I mean, you know, they lost nine nil to Leicester last season. Could have easily got rid of Ralph Hasenhutl, but he looks uh, not only a really good coach but a really good character and um, a fascinating guy. So I'm pleased they stuck by him. They look good. I think Aston Villa have, have been the big improvement on uh, last season. And I lived in the West Midlands for many years. Used to cover them for local radio in Birmingham. Um, so I've always had a soft spot for them, and uh, they do look really good. I watched their games against Chelsea and Manchester United. I know they only ended up with one point out of the two games, but they look comfortable in that sort of company now. And uh, I think there are there are good things ahead for them. But it's quite good when the big boys, you know, uh, get infiltrated by, you know, still big clubs in themselves. But obviously, the so-called big four or big six or whatever aren't quite having it all their own way at the moment, and that can only be be good for football. And what do you make of, da- of David Moyes at West Ham? Yeah, well, I like David. Uh, he, he, again, a guy I've dealt with in the past. I know he, he's a bit, uh, he looks a bit fearsome at times with those uh, eyes. And I've interviewed him a couple of times and he's been hard work, to be fair. But he played with David Proven at Celtic, so he's always uh, been quite uh, helpful to me. And I think he's done a fantastic job there as well. Some of the West Ham fans aren't having him. And probably still aren't, to be honest. But you can only do what he's doing, really. And, uh, yeah, there's there's always room for improvement in any team, in any club. I don't think you could ask for much more for the way West Ham have uh, gone about their business so far this season. There haven't been uh, too many bad results. I think, he, you know, they probably need to score more goals. Um, but, you know, overall, in his two spells at the club, he's done absolutely everything that has been asked of him. And I'd love it if they could uh, edge their way up towards that sort of top six bracket as well. Not that I'm biased much. Yeah. So who would who would be the favourite players that you've uh, bought this at a stadium? Uh, my favourite West Ham player would be Billy Bonds from back in the era when I started following them as a kid. And I was lucky enough that I got to work with Billy later when I was doing the tunnel at West Ham. He was in charge of the youth team at the time. So we uh, we were quite close then. And then got to work with him when he did a bit of radio for Capital. Uh, just a lovely guy. I mean, an absolute warrior on the pitch. Um, great pictures of him back playing then. But, and it, but off the pitch, he was a lovely family man and just a quiet guy. And there are a few like that that uh, I watched at West Ham. Tony Gale was another who eventually got to work with, Tony Cotty. So I was very lucky in that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I just want to get a lot of flavour of what are, the, what, what are your favourite your things about Scottish football? As I mentioned earlier, I just love the passion of the players because I think they give 100% all round every week and obviously the passion of the fans and the banter of the fans as well. I mean, I do like, I do, you know, there are some generally funny people out there in Scotland, I'm sure we all know. Uh, but I just love the the general banter and the, the the feel of it in Scotland. It's it's superb. And I like watching the games. Like I say, uh, I don't think, I don't think we actually get that many bad games in Scotland. You can get bad games in any league. Um, and I've certainly seen my fair share of them over the years. But uh, no, I just just love it. Love uh, covering the games, and I hope that comes across in the way that we uh, we do it on Sky. So, you, you, so Celtic um, scored the injury team winner for Tom Rogic. Yes, in the cup final. Yeah, um, yeah, that was funny because I think that was the third year running there been a late winner at that same end of Hampden Park, Inverness in 2015. David Gray Hibbs, extraordinary game 
when Hibs finally won the Scottish Cup in 2016. And then, yeah, I remember Tom picking up. I mean, the thing with Tom Rogic is, for a commentator, uh, he was a bit like uh, thinking of, sort of Henrik Larsson, Nakamura. You could kind of gamble on what you were going to say because there was every chance that he was going to do what he wanted to do. And uh, he certainly did on, on, on that occasion. And uh, obviously, you know, what it meant to Celtic at the time was, was huge as well. Uh, I, I, it was great for Celtic, don't get me wrong, and fantastic achievement. But I just I felt a bit for Aberdeen having, having dealt with Derek McInnes so many times over the years because I think that was their best chance to actually uh, topple Celtic and win the Scottish Cup. But, but it was typical of Celtic in many ways that they did it in, in, in injury time as well. Yep. Um, so the next thing I just want to say is, do you feel pressure? Commentating on so many big football games. Used to Regan, but now um, you, know, you become a bit older and wiser, don't you? I still get a, a sort of um, tingle when the uh, when I do an old firm game because of the size of the occasion and it's so massive, and you basically want to get through the game without making an ass of things. Really, that's your achievement uh, if you do uh, get everything right and hopefully call everything right. Um, but, but yeah, the big games, I tell you where I felt my most nervous recently, and that was before Serbia-Scotland, because I I just I had a feeling at the time that Scotland might do it. And I thought, crikey, you know, you've got to be, if it's going to happen, a bit like him winning the Scottish Cup after 114 years, if it's going to happen on your shift, you've got to be ready for it. So I did, uh, I remember saying to David Pollard before that Serbia-Scotland game, I just, there's something I feel... I actually feel quite nervous going into the game. And I remember when the ball went out for that Serbia corner saying in the commentary, I actually feel sick here because we all knew that Serbia were going to score from the corner. So, uh, no, generally, uh, when you start off in the business, yes, certainly a few nerves and all that. But um, when you've been doing it for a few years, they they calm down. But like I say, you still get a big buzz before the old firm. I'm always awake about, well, if, if I manage to get to sleep much, that is, I'm awake about six, half six on Derby Day in Glasgow uh, because just can't sleep and excited at the prospect ahead. But yeah, that Serbia Scotland game was different. Minute five minutes before, just a feeling of uh, nerves. Imagine what it must have been like for the players. Yeah, so I just want to ask you this: Who would be your the commentator that you looked up to? Well, I'm going back way before your time when I was growing up as a lad in in Weymouth in Dorset, and I used to listen to Radio Two as it was then, which is now Five Live. Um, and a guy called Peter Jones was the main commentator. He just had an utterly fantastic voice. Google Google and have a listen. Just a superb voice. In fact, uh, BBC had some great voices at that time, like Brian Butler, Peter Lorenzo, whose son Matt went on to present on the telly as well. And those are the voices of my childhood listening on the radio, and obviously. Uh, growing up in England, I listened to Brian Moore, John Motson, Barry Davis. And I know I wasn't here at the time in Scotland, but Scotland had some fantastic commentators as well. I mean, uh, the Scottish voice is so strong anyway. And uh, there were so many of those guys, and still are, who, uh, who I just love the sound of the Scottish voice on commentating. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, but back in the day, you know... Um, uh, which, which feels like absolutely ages ago now, probably because it was. But uh, those are the guys that I used to listen to on my little transistor radio, uh, blaring out loud by my ear, watching Weymouth at the old recreation ground in Dorset, probably annoying everyone around me, although they, at least they could get to hear all the scores as well. But uh, no, happy memories as a as a kid. Okay, Ian, 
Thank you for coming on the show. No worries, Regan. I'm glad we finally got it done, mate. Thank you. You take care of yourself. <laughs>